Um, but it, it got me thinking, like, we really should be people of prayer. And one of the things that has most stuck with me when Tim was here and he preached on us is that quote he made from, or he read from Thomas Watson. I actually had to go look it up. Um, Thomas Watson on why God doesn't answer our prayer, like why God might not answer our prayer. He's kind of giving some theories on why God may not answer our prayers immediately. And one of the reasons is because he loves to hear the voice of prayer. You let the musician play a great while before you throw him down money because you love to hear his music. Brothers and sisters, we should not put God in the position where he can either hear us pray or he can give us the answer to what we're praying for. Our receiving blessing from the Lord, receiving the answer of our prayer, should not be what causes us to pray less. That should be what motivates us to pray more. It is a joy to get to stand before you guys this afternoon, like always. Um, This message I have entitled, Paul's Practical Instructions. And that's the short title, the long title is, Paul's expected practical instructions. These are the instructions Paul expects the churches to be doing. And I said churches, and you'll see that in a minute, because we're going to be not just in Galatians today, uh, but Lord willing, we will finish Galatians 6 today, and then next time we'll actually finish out Galatians entirely. Um, But I'd like to pray before we get started. Great and mighty God, Father, you have seen it necessary and beneficial to preserve the writings of Paul to the Galatian church for 2,000 years of church history for the benefit of your church today, Lord. Father, we should think of you in specifics and intention. Lord, it's not wrong to think that, that you have used Galatians to bless hundreds of churches throughout church history, but you also intended it to bless the church here in Austin. What Paul wrote down to rebuke and encourage and correct the Galatian church has been echoed through the centuries and now falls on the pages of our Bibles here in Austin. And Father, we ask that you would use it to grow us and encourage us and rebuke us and teach us that we may give you glory and grow in maturity as we pursue Christ. Amen. All right. So as you may or may not remember, when I went through Galatians 1, when I, at the very beginning, I started by saying, Paul's got a theme to how he starts all of his letters. Um, Grace and peace, Paul, an apostle, not by man. He, he, the wording was a little different because he is writing to different churches in different sittings, settings, but for the most part, there's a very similar theme to how he starts his letters. So as I was closing out Galatians 6, I was curious, is there a theme to how he ends his letters? When he writes letters to different churches or to different people, is there a consistency or a pattern that we can look at in how he closes out his epistles? And I believe there is. Um, So what we're going to do today is kind of backwards from how I've normally handled the Galatians text, where I would read the our, our primary text at the beginning of the sermon and then pick it apart and use that time to find supporting verses and, and similar uh, thoughts from Paul to help bring out the, uh, the points that he's making. This time I'm actually going to be going to all the supporting verses first, and then after that we'll be going to Galatians 6. This is probably the longest sermon I've put on paper. I don't know if that means it'll preach longer, but it's definitely the most uh, characters and, and uh, pages that, that I've used. And uh, on top of that, the Lord's Supper I have prepared is also the longest Lord's Supper I've had. So I hope everybody had a good lunch because we're going to be here for a minute. Um, But it's good. I I believe the Lord has good for us from this today. So uh, I am going to kind of breeze through some of these. I'm going to be reading a lot of verses. I'll tell you the book. I'll tell you the location in the book. I'll read the verse and we'll go on to the next one. I've broken them down, some of them, into little list form later. I'm not going to give chapter and verse on the list form. It's from the verses I'm about to read. If you want any of that data, just let me know and I can email it to you. I, I'd be happy if somebody wanted to check my work. You know, that meant you guys are paying attention. Um, so we're going to start in Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is not in chronological order. This is just in um, the order of your Bible. So we're starting in Paul's letter to the Romans. And by small note, I am omitting his letters to people. So uh, Philemon, Timothy, 
Titus, I'm omitting those not because those don't have instructions for the churches, but because specifically I wanted to see how Paul wrote to churches when he was designating a letter to a church. So the, ch- the church in Romans, uh, our first verse, Romans 15, 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Romans, 15, Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all you do be done in love. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize that about, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 18 and 19. Sorry, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert, all perse- keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Philippians. I and uh, Philippians 2, Philippians 4, 2. I entreat Udia and Senecia to agree in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Colossians, starting in 4, 1 through 5. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Lord to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward the outsider, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of the faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. First Thessalonians 11, all the way through 22. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. But be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. And finally, Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Conform, conf- comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Second Thessalonians 2 Second Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored and happen as happened among you. Second Thessalonians 3, 6. 
Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who walks in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you receive from us. And our last section, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 through 15. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in good works, in, in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. There was a lot of verses, and there wasn't a lot of flow together. But if you look at what each verse is saying, you can kind of glean out little statements, marching orders. I called this sermon Paul's expected um, like Paul's expected instructions to the church. These are his practical instructions to the church that he expects them to understand. And remember that these statements at the end of these letters have the weight of an entire letter behind them. I mean, Romans is, what, 16 chapters long? So 16 chapters of Paul teaching the, the, the church in Romans, and then it ends with um, a little bit of instruction. So compiling all these instructions without that context may make it seem a little jumbled. So what I've sought to do is pick through these verses, shorten them into kind of a, a, a notable command, an, an instruction from Paul, and make it clear that Paul is making these instructions with the expectation that the children, that the churches and the Christians in the churches will listen and do them. These aren't suggestions. In some of these things, he says, I bind you to do this. I put you under an oath before God to have this letter read. He's making it very clear that when he's giving this instruction, it's not just a, hey, you should do this. These are teachings from Paul the Apostle, and he expects people to follow through with them. So um, the first section, the first list I have is what you could call your day-to-day walk, your Monday through Friday Christianity, how kind of Paul expects you to be living your life, and they get a little more detailed as we go through them. But our first one is Paul expects us to run the race as, as Christians, and his commands for that are examine yourself, see whether you're in the faith, test yourself, test everything, watch out for and avoid those who teach contrary doctrine, keep away from anyone who walks in idleness, do not please yourself, Establish your hearts in every good work. Do not grow weary from doing good. Do all things in love. Dwell and think on honorable things. Don't be anxious about anything. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice always. Yes, some of these repeat almost word for word. Walk in wisdom towards the outsider. Seek to do good to everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. Abstain from evil. Make good use of the time. Do not quench the spirit. Given in shortened list format, it seems easier to think of those as marching orders. And what, what, rather than just kind of run to, from list to list to list, I want to ex, just expound a little bit. What Paul is, is saying is, I expect you to kind of behave like Christians, and these are examples of how I want you to do. And this isn't an exhaustive list for every facet of your life, but it's pretty thorough, especially when you read all of the epistles and then the other works of the other apostles, and then combine that with the teachings of Christ, and then combine that with where things fit in the New and Old Testament. So, um, and in that, you will have every possible scenario, an answer for it. Um, but to start off with, one of the things Paul mentions, and, and just by way of example, he says, don't repay someone evil for evil. You know, Knowing that as a person, remember, Paul's writing to real churches and real people, and he's saying, you're going to be tempted to repay evil for evil. Even though you have a new heart in you, don't do that. Don't repay evil for evil. Um, seek good for everybody. Find ways to, to try and do good for people. Um, and I'll by way of confession and, and bearing my own weakness, I'll give an example of when I didn't do this. Um, I would, I, and, and in preparing sermons, I find cons- patterns in my own life. I didn't realize how much driving was a sanctifying act for me because that's when I seemed to be upset or, 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 or foolish the most. But uh, when I was going to work one day, there's, there's two roads that kind of uh, lead into our parking area in the front of the building, and they both drive by a, a security badge station. You have to badge in to get on property. So there's the left lane and the right lane, and I was in probably the right lane, and I saw that they had a cone set up. Maybe the badge was down. They were moving people to the left lane. I don't know the reason, but I saw it far enough ahead to think, okay, cool. And I merged into the left lane. All the cars behind me did the same thing, and we were all in line for the one open lane. And right as I was about to pull up, 
I see a lady in an SUV speed down the closed lane, and I knew what she was doing. She was trying to speed past the line and cut in front of me. And I would love to stand up here and say, I was very mature, and I slowed down, and I led her over, and I said, God bless you, but I didn't. <laughs> I sped up because I was like, no, you're not going to cut me off. That's, that's wrong. How would you do that? So, so I speed up. She slams on her brakes and honks and yells at me, and I yell at her that she should have got over. And, and the second I, I yelled and I acted sinfully, and I'm not going to make light of it. It was sin. It was pride and foolishness and arrogance on my part. How dare someone offend my day? The Spirit convicted me immediately. What are you doing? I, I don't know. I'm, but she, Lord, I don't have an excuse. I'm sorry. And it, repentance was small. And before I, you know, made it out of the parking lot, like me and the Lord were where we should be. But still, it's not a little thing. And what Paul is expecting you to do, believer, is walk around and kind of check yourself. And, and not, am I saved? Am I not saved? If I sin, am I going to be lost? No, that's done and sealed. He's wanting you to... Am I repaying evil for evil? Am I the kind of person that does that? Am I looking for opportunities to do good for people, even at my own harm? Am I living out this life that I'm supposed to live with these examples and these specific instructions that Paul has given us? I mean, he says, give thanks in all circumstance. Rejoice and rejoice always. Walk in wisdom towards the outsiders. I didn't see that lady well enough to recognize her, and I doubt she saw me well enough to recognize her. But in my particular job at work, I am in every department, and I walk over that whole property. That's not walking in wisdom towards outsiders. Because if I would have had an opportunity to share the gospel with her later on that day, she wouldn't recognize me as the meek, mild Christian guy at work. She would recognize me as the jerk that wouldn't let her merge over. Whether or not she was in the right or wrong, this situations like this can hamper your witness. And that is why you want to keep short accounts with the Lord and keep on yourself. And that is why Paul gives us a list of kind of ways to check yourself. Am I rejoicing? I'm not rejoicing. Am I seeking to do good to others? How maybe I'm not. Am I walking in wisdom towards outsiders? And these are Paul's expected instructions for the church to go and live out. So Paul expects us to check ourselves, make sure that we are walking in and thinking about and have at the front of our mind this faith that we claim to hold on to. I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to have a quick response for, what, for the faith that is within me, not a quick temper for when people cut me off. Um, but glory be to God that he's forgiven me and keeps me from doing that. Um, the next expectation, our next list that Paul expects believers to do is he expects believers to pray. He expects Christians to be a praying people. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray for the saints. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And to some churches, not all churches, but to some churches, he says, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for me. He specifically says, pray for me that I may, not know, that I may know what I should speak. Pray for me that I, that I open my mouth when I should open my mouth. It's a right and practical expectation for Paul to have that Christians should be a praying people. We should have lives marked with prayer. We should pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that you don't go to work and you just stay home and pray, or you don't hang out with your kids and you just stay home and pray, or you, you don't sleep, you just stay home and pray, although some of those things may need to be given up for times of prayer. And don't hear, uh, please, if you're hearing that I got upset at somebody in traffic, don't hear that, oh, Jason's teaching on prayer because he has it all figured out. One of the most convicting things about preparing a sermon and compiling all these things and learning it is seeing how short I fall in all of these different areas. So this was one of the more convicting uh, lists to assemble. Um, but it, it, it got me thinking, like, we really should be people of prayer. And one of the things that has most stuck with me when Tim was here and he preached on us is that quote he made from, or he read from Thomas Watson. I actually had to go look it up. Um, Thomas Watson on why God doesn't answer our prayer, like why God might not answer our prayer. He's kind of giving some theories on why God may not answer our prayers immediately. And one of the reasons is because he loves to hear the voice of prayer. You let the musician play a great while before you throw him down money because you love to hear his music. Brothers and sisters, we should not put God in the position where he can either hear us pray or he can give us the answer to what we're praying for. Our receiving blessing from the Lord, receiving the answer of our prayer, should not be what causes us to pray less. That should be what motivates us to pray more. When God 
answers a prayer and he does a miracle in your life, it should trigger something deep inside you that says, he hears me, what else can I seek him in? He hears me, who else can I bring before him? And our prayer life should not be a list of give me, give me, give me, give me. It should be thankfulness, praying in thankfulness, thanking the Lord for what he has done in your life, for who he is, for all of the blessings he has given us. And I, I sat with Kendra, and it was a little legalistic, but we were married maybe a year, and I thought, like, oh, you know, praying's too much. And I, I don't know if she even remembers this conversation, but I was like, it's, it's hard to pray. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, if I prayed, and I, and I mapped it out, like, if I prayed five minutes for every person I knew, it was like 90 hours a week for all the different people. I know the different family members I had, the different missionaries I knew about, the different situations. And then you add on top of that, like praying for your, your uh, leaders, you know, so pray for our, our president or our senators, our governors, our leaders. And then on top of that, praying for the different countries, you know, and then on top of that, praying, um, you know, just, just being thankful. It's like I, I mapped it all out and I was like, it's too much. But we should be a people of consistent prayer. Prayer should be something that flows from us constantly throughout the day, not in despite of our work, not in despite of our life, but in addition to it. Stealing moments away. And this is a quote from a brother in Corpus Church. He said, often seek to steal moments away with the Lord. Whether that's the five-minute walk to the car. I, you know, oh, I got, I got to go grab the diaper bag because my wife forgot the diaper bag. That five-minute walk to the car can be alone time with you and the Lord. In addition to your actual prayer time, you should have a constant form of communication between you and the Lord. Um, and Paul, we all see Paul as this giant, or maybe it's just me, but we see Paul as this, this giant author of most of the books in the New Testament and, and this just long list of, of persecutions that he's overcome and the man who has learned to be content in everything. And, and oh, wow, he's Paul the Apostle. You know, and he had, he, had to, he had to actually rebuke another apostle, but he's not the one that fell. And what we see, and Paul exposes to certain churches, is his own weakness when he asks them, please pray for us. Paul knows, if I'm going to do this work that the Lord has called me to do, I'm going to need his help to do it. Pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for us. Pray that I may even have the words to speak. Paul's not a bold robot or, or just some spiritual monster that doesn't need encouragement. No, Paul's a human, and he can get discouraged very easily. And when he says, pray for me, that is the, the, the best thing a church can do for Paul. And we're not apostles, but Kenzie, Chris, and I would first and foremost ask that you pray for us as well as we seek to uh, bring messages Sunday after Sunday and encourage the saints with them. And if you are say, supplementing our lack of a pastor with, you know, some I'll be honest videos, or maybe you found somebody in Kirksville or Denton that you're listening to, pray for that pastor, even though you've never met them. You want to bring good and do good to, to the people that teach and preach, pray for them, intercede for them. So it's normal and right that Paul would expect his church to be a praying church, not his church, but the, the, the church to be a praying church. And that's consistent throughout all the different letters. The next thing that Paul expects from his people, not his people, but from Christ's people, is he expects them to be sober-minded, awake, and alert. Paul says, be sober, be awake and sober, keep alert with all perseverance, be watchful. That one's a short list, but... You know, for, for anybody that's spent time around children you will know quickly that they have probably the best capacity for imagination. I, the, the Lego builds and unicorn stories I've heard over the years are just amazing with their detail and their creativity. But if, especially if you're a parent and you've spent also time around children, you know they can be the most literal creatures on the planet. You will say, go get my sweater from the back of the couch. They come back five minutes later, there's no sweater on the back of the couch. You walk over there, it's on the back of the chair. But you said couch. And we should not fall into that as Christians. When, God, when, when Paul is saying, be sober, be alert, be watchful, he's not saying, don't sleep. He's not saying, don't rest. And he's not saying, don't enjoy this life that he's given you. He's saying, don't let this wife, this life distract you or lull you into some false sense of security. I think of uh, 
Pilgrim's Progress where they, they travel through Vanity Fair. They're on their way to the Celestial City and they go through Vanity Fair. And it's all the shiny distractions and, and, and things that you could possibly imagine. Anything to get them off their path. Anything to distract them. But there's a clarity of mind that is needed to stay focused. And what Paul is saying is, don't let this world around you turn you into some kind of zombie where you just, i got to watch this next season of, I don't know. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to say anything. To, I'm not trying to convict anybody. But I don't, I, you know, I don't want to you know, read this next book or, or go see this next you know, sports game because, uh, because that's just what I need to do. Like, there's a, a time to be sober and awake, and that's something that we should consistently be checking in ourselves. This is living out the Christian life in a form of sobriety, and you'll need that sobriety and that alertness if you're going to be checking yourself and keeping watch over your own spirit to make sure that you're not being led into temptation or kind of neglecting to, you know, I need to be more active about being kind to people. I, I, you get in your own bubble and you can kind of brush people off and that's not the witness I want to be. And these are, again, practical ex, uh, expectations that Paul has. The church should be awake and alert. The next list I have that, that's come, that we find in all those different verses is Paul expects believers, he expects Christians to be strong. He expects them to stand firm in the face of this world's attacks. And for those in the crowd that it applies to, he expects you to be a man. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Hold to the traditions you were taught. Stand firm. Hold fast to what is good. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Be strong act like men, stand firm in the faith. Now, before I go too far into that, just by way of reminder, church history, and my, my guess is uh, through Acts, we'll, we'll learn more about some of these stories, but through church history, most apostles were murdered. <laughs> most of the apostles were killed by other men. I mean, Jesus himself was murdered you know he was he was murdered so knowing that the what we would call the greats of the faith you know the people that ran the race all the way all the way to the point of bloodshed were all overpowered by men and were then killed you should put out of your mind any thought of mr universe or brian shaw or these strong men that you see on tv or the internet you know rolling up frying pans um that's not what it means when the when when paul is saying stand firm and be strong my dad used to say, there's no strong men, just weak men used by a strong God. So that's not what he's saying when he's talking about being strong. What Paul, what Paul is talking about is not human strength. He's talking about grip strength. He's talking about holding fast to Christ with every fiber of your being. And then the, the analogy I can come up with is, imagine you're on a boat out in the ocean, stormy waves, and you're trying not to slip off the deck. Big wave come, hits you on the side, and then you flip over the boat. On your way down, you reach out and you grab some thin rope, you know, some, some rope, you know, maybe this thick, small rope, and you're holding on to it with everything you can. And every time a wave hits, it smacks you up against the boat, and the rope is cutting into your hands. But none of that is going to matter to you, because you know if I let go of this rope, I fall. I drown, it's over. Life ends the moment I let go. It doesn't matter what the storm throws at me. It doesn't matter how hard the boat hits me. It doesn't matter if the rope itself cuts my hands. I'm not going to let go. That is the strength that Paul is saying the Christian should have. Paul is saying that when it comes to strength... You will hold on to Christ with everything. Before you let go of Christ, you will let go of your possession. Before you let go of Christ, you will let go of your family and friends. Before you let go of Christ, you would even let go of your own life. But you will not let go of Christ. And that's a type of strength that is going to be needed to stand in persecution, to withstand the attacks and the offense of this world. And as far as the being a man portion goes... Paul is not saying that women have some, some less ability to hold on to Christ with that strength. Church history tells us of female martyrs that have suffered horribly and not let go of Christ in the face of horrible persecution. What Paul is saying when he says, be a man and stand firm, be a man, is men are the leaders, they're the authority. They're the ones that need to hit this wave first. 
They're the ones that need to lead people through this. They're the example setters. And you need an extra firm grip on Christ to know that if I don't yield, my family could be harmed, my spouse could be harmed, my children could be harmed. So there is a unique level of strength that is required for the leaders in these situations to hold fast to Christ because that is the strength that Paul is expecting. He's not just saying, hope that someday you get there. He's expecting Christians to have this strength actively as they walk through their Christian life. So when Paul says, be strong in the Lord, he's not saying, muster up some strength in yourself. He's saying, be so held on to Christ and so in sync with Christ and so dependent on Christ that you know I bring nothing to the table, but I'm going to hold on to Christ. And it is the Lord who provides the strength to get through those situations. So it is expected and, and practical that Paul would have, his, have the church be strong. Again, not man's view of strength, never man's view of strength, but God's view of strength, which is holding on to the only thing that can save. And by coincidence, the next list falls after the strong one, and that's Paul expects Christians to be gentle with the weak among them. Paul says, bear with the weak, treat those under you fairly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. As we looked at last Sunday, I was up here preaching, you're going to be a member of a church. Paul's talking to churches. These are all letters from churches. And that means you're going to be around brothers and sisters, and you're going to grind on each other, and you're going to find people in your church that are weak in areas not only are you not weak in them, but you can't imagine how anybody else would be weak in them. Kendra and I started listening to a book. Well, she started listening to a book, and I stole it because I, I thought it was very good. And it's about a young missionary couple that this is before they got married. So this is kind of like from their diaries. And it talks about, you know, they were both very committed to singleness, and they had maybe like a harsh view on marriage over singleness and and when God put them in each other's paths, the Lord really seemed to do some stirring and a desire for marriage and a desire to have a spouse. And they really fought against that, as in, this, like, oh, this is something tempting me away from singleness. Not, not, maybe not recognizing it as a blessing from the Lord, but as maybe this temptation from... But it's, you know, it's two, two wonderful believers that really have a heart for the Lord. And you can look at it and kind of think, well, these guys are maybe a little silly in this. And... And I realized, like, what, what if people like that were in our church? What if there was a young guy and a young girl like that in our church? Would I just call them silly? Would I tell them, like, oh, you're being foolish? No. The Lord would have me be gentle with them and talk to them. He wouldn't have me say, I go against your conscience. You're just, you know, your conscience is too weak. No, you, you, you'd be gentle with people. And, and when somebody comes in this church and they sin in an area that you're like, how are you sinning in there? It's not grow up and get over it. I can, I can assure you, you'll probably never say grow up and get over it as much as you want to. When I was young, young in the faith and was around, <clears throat> I got saved when I was 27, and I immediately hung out with 18 and 19-year-olds, and I just wanted to throw Bibles at them and tell them to grow up because even, even just being a little older, I, hadn't, I, had, had, I had gotten past certain things. Uh, the Lord had, had brought me past certain things. But every time that the Lord would put me in a counseling situation where you know, it was quiet, it was late, a brother would start sharing things, I would immediately know that's not how I'm supposed to respond to this guy. He needs to know the Lord loves him. He needs to know that there is um, um, freedom from certain sins. He needs to know that the Lord will not leave him. He needs to know how the Lord is, is tender and gentle with him. And, brethren, that is what Paul expects mature believers to be. He expects you to be tender and gentle and patient with the shortcomings of those around you because he is tender and gentle and patient with you. The Lord has a appropriate expectation because you're to model what you've been given and you've been given patience and gentleness and, and love. So Paul expects the church to bear one another's burdens, to bear with the weak, and, and to bear with the weak just as Christ bears with us. And my last list out of the, those verses, Paul expects believers 
to live in unity among each other. So, walk in wisdom to the outside. Pray. Be strong in the Lord. Bear with the weak. But walk in unity among each other. Because this is your family. Paul says, Greet one another with affection. Do not despise prophecies. Admonish the idle. Be patient with be at peace among yourselves. Agree in the Lord. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Respect those who labor among you. Esteem those who labor among you. Paul's made it clear. He, he, you're going to be in a body. You're saved. You're in the family of God. You have brothers and sisters that are in the family of God. You're going to be around each other. You're going to grind on each other. This is going to be your daily life. And unlike the world that is quick to being offended, that is quick to find fault, that is quick to end a relationship over something small, these people will be different. I mean, Paul says that, that the world will know your Christ by your love for one another. So you're going to have such a unique behavior and attitude towards each other that even the world will go, that's, nobody else behaves like that. Only the Christians love each other that much. Only the Christians will drop everything at 2 a.m. to go help someone move because their pipes are bursted and get nothing out of it. Only the Christians will give cars. And the, the sad part is it's not only the Christians that do that. We all know of lost family members that are generous. We all know of lost friends that are sacrificial with their time. That just, you know, you know Craig from work, lost as can be, but he's a really nice guy, you know. Oh, yeah, my Uncle Bob. Total wicked man, but he gave a car because he heard so-and-so needed a car. And as Christians, we should be outdoing one another with that. We should be outdoing the world with our kindness and our gentleness and our unity and the fact that it doesn't matter what differences we have. There's nothing that gets in between this fellowship because we have all things in common because we have Christ in common. And what Paul also says is that you are to give a unique position to the teacher, leader, pastor among you. You are to esteem them higher. This is not super-Christian, non-super-Christian. This is not better or less than. This is a recognition that that person labors for my sake, and there is a repayment that ought to go and a sense of honor and respect that ought to go with that. And number one, that should be prayer. That should be uh, looking at somebody who is laboring and trying to be faithful and praying for them and lifting them up before the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't even know all they need, but you know all they need. Please help them. But another way that that should be done and is expected by Paul to be done in the church is financial giving. You should be joyfully giving for the benefit of the person who teaches or preaches or pastors over you. If a brother is, is Sunday after Sunday bringing messages for your benefit, Wednesday after Wednesday showing up to Bible studies and prayers to, to lead the church, um, available for counseling, leading evangelism, whatever the church does, and he's, he's there working, pouring out himself, sacrificing for you, well, let's, let's not make him sacri- his sacrifice in vain. Uh, it's not in vain. He gets a reward in heaven, but let's give him a reward on earth. Let's encourage him to keep going. That is a great way to encourage someone. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pour out and do everything I can for this. Great. Here, we're going to bless you as a church. We're going to provide for you. And the Bible makes no apologies when it talks about money. God knew all of these things were going to exist long before they became taboo in certain cultures. There's, there's no... Um, there's no off-limits topics for God. He says the laborer deserves his wage, and the Christian should seek to support and bless their pastor or their teacher or their preacher with financial giving and highly esteeming them before the Lord and before others. And that can be just a way to respect someone, or it can be financial, or it can be time of prayer. But there should be that uniqueness. And that is appropriate expectation for Paul to have on, um, for Paul to have for the church. So the good news is we're about halfway. Um, so what I was hoping to do with all of those lists and all of those different points and from all the different churches to kind of like lay them fresh in your mind so that as we just read through Galatians 6, 
And we get to kind of quickly go through it, not hastily, but, but quickly. We read through Galatians 6, listen for any of those markers, any of those things that Paul has already established this is what a Christian should be doing. And listen to him admonish and encourage the Galatian church with those things. So Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Feel free to read along if you want. It's going to be the rest of the chapter. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and let his reason to boast, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For to the one who sows... To his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. It is those who make a good it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would have who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh from now on let no one cause me trouble for i bear in my body the marks of jesus the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit brothers amen so before we pick it apart, did you recognize anything in there? Did any of those stand out? Did you realize, hey, that's, that's like those other verses, or that's like this other thing? And Paul's repetition is not just Paul wanting to make a consistent you know, showing. Paul's repetition is evidence that it's the Spirit of God working through Paul, highlighting the points that God would have you highlighted. So starting in verse 1, we're going to go into Paul. And again, Paul calls them brothers confirming that he is talking to believers. This is a message to Christians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You will deal with weakness in a church, whether it's your own or if it's those around you. And Paul charges the mature members of the church to, to keep an eye out for each other, and when you find this brother that's caught in sin, he doesn't say, immediately put him under church discipline. He doesn't say, run and tell 15 people about it. He says, you who are mature, or he says, you who are spiritual should restore him, but restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And Paul specifies gentleness, that we keep watch on ourselves, lest we be tempted. We can be tempted with arrogance or pride, like, oh, Brother so-and-so struggling with showing up to church again because other things distract him. I don't have that problem. I make it every Sunday. I didn't even miss a church when I had COVID. And, and those thoughts and those, those um, fears are real, and that's why Paul wants us to be careful and keep watch on ourselves also. When dealing with a, a brother or a sister that is in sin, that is weak, the risk is that you will get brought down by them by either what they're struggling with or the pride that you're not the one struggling with it. And Paul knows this, so he's, he's telling the church, you're going to have to do these situations, but keep an eye out. Galatians 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is expected that Christians will not just acknowledge each other's burdens, but we will actively seek to remove or walk with our brothers through those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is not some oppressive law restraining you like the law of Moses. The law of Christ is a freedom to love towards people in order to demonstrate the gospel message to them. Look at how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. You can turn there if you want. It's 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more to them. 
To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those that are under the law. To the outsider, I became as one who is outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul specifies, to the Jews I became a Jew, clarifying, you know, to, to, to clarifying, I'm not under the law. I'm, I'm, my, my soul is saved through Christ. I'm, I'm doing this to win them. I'm, I'm doing this so that I can win them to Christ. To the Gentiles, to those outside the law, I became like them. And then he clarifies, I didn't go outside the law. I didn't go sin with them. But I did this so that I could win them to the law. He says, to the weak, I became weak. I became everything I could in my earthly powers. I was as flexible and as submissive and as willing to give up my rights as I possibly could. For anything in his own sake? No, for their sake, for the, for the progression of the gospel. He wanted to do all of this so that he might share with them in the inheritance that he already had, which means he's, he's willing to give up and be flexible so that he can win some. And, and at the end of his walk, it was worth giving up, being flexible, dealing with whatever I had to deal with because these ones came with me. Now we get to be inheritance together. And that's, that's the law of Christ. It's doing whatever you need to do whatever you want to do, to win those. Not sinning, not outside the law of God, but seeking the benefit of others. Galatians, 3, Galatians 6, 3 through 5. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. There's definitely some keep an eye on yourself uh, views being expressed there, but Paul is going back to the Judaizers and he's he's clarifying kind of the, what these the circumcision party is trying to do. They're trying to boast in what other people do. They're trying to uh, get the church circumcised so that they can boast in the church. And Paul said previously. They're trying to make much of you so that you will make much of them. And the Christian won't do that. You will be accountable for your own race. On Judgment Day, you won't get to stand before the Lord and say, but, but what about so-and-so? But what about so-and-so? You don't get to bring up anybody but you and your own actions. And what Paul is saying is your reason for boasting before the Lord will be in yourself alone. And this is not a boasting and, Lord, look what I've done. It's saying, Lord, this is my life, and I held firm to you, and that's it. It doesn't matter how firm somebody else holds on to Christ. It matters how firm you hold on to Christ. You will bear your own load. Verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. That he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We previously looked at Paul talking about believers being generous to their pastor, to the overseer of their soul, and what he says in 1 Timothy is, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Brethren, our desire for good works towards people should not be void of tangible acts. Praying for people is an amazing thing and it is not to be thought lowly of, but it should not stop there as you have the means to do so. Um. There is a blessing in being financially generous towards the Lord. And I am not going to stand up and say that that blessing is in any way financial. There is no guarantee in Scripture that if you give $100 to God, he gives you 1000 back. 
The reality is you could give most of your money to God because you want to be generous, and then tomorrow the rest of it get wiped out. Your 401k could be gone. Your bank could get robbed. You could burn down in a fire. But that doesn't mean God is void of giving you a blessing. There are blessings to giving to your church, not out of obligation, but because you want to see your pastor well taken care of. You want to see missionaries funded by your church. You want the orphans and widows and homeless people that knock on the door of the church to not be told, we'll pray for you, but to be given tangible things in the name of the Lord. And you sow spiritual seed by giving to spiritual things. And you can sow fleshly seed. You can invest, keep your money, hoard it all, and it can grow. But the Lord isn't in that. And he will, if you're a believer, hopefully he will discipline you from that. And I am not saying this so that begrudgingly you start writing checks. If you find in your spirit, in your, in your alone time with the Lord, that you are not a charitable and generous giver to him, that you're someone who finds it hard to contribute to the finances of the church, don't send money to the church. Run to the Lord in prayer and ask him, what is it that's keeping me from doing this? Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He wants to bless those who give, come to him with open hands. He doesn't need anything from us. He's, he's fully capable of supplying all that we need, all that every other missionary needs. He's giving you the opportunity to participate in that for your blessing. So there is a blessing in being charitable towards the Lord. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We are not promised an immediate return as Christians but we are promised a return. We are promised that there is a blessing for our efforts. You could, you, you could be a parent. You could evangelize to your kid every day, can, uh, canonize them, teach them the word, um, pray for them, and maybe, you know, pre-teen years, teen years, they make a profession, and you get to see your child walking in, in faith, and praise God, you've received a blessing for all of your reward and all of your effort pouring into it. But you may also not get to see that. Um, a few years ago, I don't know if you or Kenzie were there, but a few years ago, there at the Hondo uh, men's retreat, there was a, a preacher that came named Mike Morrow. And uh, I don't remember where he pastors, but he's a pastor. He came visited, and he preached for us. And I remember during one of his messages, after, after the cameras were off, he confessed that he had a son, an adult son, that wasn't saved. His name was Jason. And he was looking for people that wanted to pray for him. And some of the elders went up, and I didn't know him very well, so I, I kind of stayed out of it. But um, Mike made it clear that he had been praying for, this, for his son to be saved. And he wanted his son saved. And maybe less than two years after the men's retreat, I heard through like, you know, church newsletters or whatever that Mike Morrow had passed away. I guess he was sick or had some heart issues, and he had passed away. And when I heard that he had passed away, I wondered. I was like, oh, I wonder if his son was ever saved, yeah. if, 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 yeah, if he got to see his son saved. And then maybe six months to a year after I heard that he passed away, I was on allbehonest.com, and I see a testimony video from Jason Morrow. And I listened to it, and sure enough, Mike Morrow died in a hospital, evangelizing to nurses and doctors around him. And while they were waiting for him to die, him and his mom were talking, and she said, did you hear your dad's last sermon? It's on, it's on, it, it, it's on this computer. We haven't even uploaded it to Sermon Audio. And he's like, no, I, I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. And she goes, oh, I think it's the best one he ever preached. You know, that was between tests and stuff. Well, he dies. Jason, after his dad dies, opens the laptop, listens to the sermon, and it was his dad's final sermon that the Lord used to save him. So there is a reward from the Lord. There is a blessing from the Lord in continuing and being steadfast and, and not giving up and not growing weary from doing good. And I'm not standing here promising you that the Lord will save anybody. I'm not standing here promising you that he will save this one particular person. But I am promising you that there is a reward from doing good and not growing weary. Galatians 10, or Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. As you have opportunity, do good. 
That means if you don't have a million dollars, God is not expecting you to give a million dollars. If you don't have a dollar, God is not expecting you to give a dollar. If you don't have time, because you have a, a full-time student, full-time job, you're trying to be honorable, and, and you, you, you're not go, able to go on a mission trip. You know, if, if, you're, if, if you're in a, a life situation where you, you, can't, you can't do something because it means you would neglect the other things that the Lord has given you, that's not a burden the Lord's putting on you. It's as you have opportunity. But when you have opportunity, do good. And if you don't know the opportunities you have, pray for them. Uh, I was at a church once, and a brother there told a story about a coworker he had. And when she found out he was a Christian, she was mad. She does not like Christians. I don't remember the reason why, but she did not like Christians. And she treated him very poorly after hearing that he was a Christian. And he would pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to do good for this person. She's mean. She you know, doesn't file the right paperwork for me. She says rumors about me at work. And the Lord had protected him through all of those things. But he wanted an opportunity to do good to her. And lo and behold, one morning on the way to work, he sees hazards flashing someone's car on the side of the road. He pulls over to see if he can help. And it's her with a flat tire. And she didn't have any of the tools needed to change a tire. He had everything he needed, you know. I'll take care of it, gets out, gets on the ground, changes her tire, puts it back on, doesn't say a word, have a great day, gets in the car, drives on. And that is what the Lord used to change her attitude towards him, and she was a lot nicer. I don't know if he ever had the chance to witness. I don't know if the Lord saved her, but the Lord did give him opportunity to be kind to someone that was actively mean to him. So if you're not certain on what your opportunities are, pray to the Lord. Remember, these are his instructions to the church on what you can do and what you should be doing and what he expects you to do. And the especially part, especially to those are the household of faith. I have what I would consider work friends, guys that I enjoy sitting next to and talking to at lunch. But then I have my my. My, my brother and my sister in Corpus. And when I go a couple weeks without seeing them and I see them, I greet my work friends very differently than I greet my brother and sister when I see them in Corpus because they're my family and I love them and we have a very deep connection. And Paul is saying there should be a uniqueness in how you treat the brethren. Not, not because you're earning your way to heaven, but because there is a unique love there for those people. I, I will get up and do anything for these people because they are my actual brother and my actual sister in Christ, and they get special treatment. Galatians six eleven through 13. We're getting there. I promise we're getting there. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who would make a good show in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Paul's switching gears here, and he's kind of closing out this letter with a, a, a reminder. One, I'm writing these big word letters, words to you. I, I get this, you know. If you've ever had to, like, leave a note for your kid, you know, it's like, take out the trash, you know. Make sure the dog has water and, you know, turn the oven off. The really important stuff gets the big letters. And Paul is making it clear, I'm, I'm putting extra effort into this letter so you pay attention. But he's also warning them. Again, a warning. These Judaizers, these, these people of the circumcision party, they have come in and, and they're hoping to avoid persecution. Like, that's the whole reason. Their motive is not they've actually been convinced that circumcision gets them closer to God. Their motive isn't, you know, nope, you can't, you got to be a true, uh, true uh, Israelite, which you need to be circumcised. Their motive is, we don't want to be persecuted. The Jewish leaders were running around murdering people who were rejecting circumcision. Paul was one of them, and he's saying that's why they're doing it. They want to boast in your flesh. They want to avoid persecution. They're cowards. That's why they're, they're here. Verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for circumcision neither counts for anything nor uncircumcision, 
but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. By way of contrast, Paul is saying, they want you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. I only want what's best for you, and I won't boast in you. I will only boast in the cross of Christ. I'm not doing this. I'm not sending this letter. I'm not teaching you. I'm not preaching to you because I want something from you, because it's gaining me anything. I'm doing it for your benefit. They're doing it for their benefit. They're sneaking in because they don't want persecution. I brought you this message so that you will be blessed. But the only thing I'm boasting in, even after being an apostle, even after uh, giving you guys this message, is the cross of Christ. That's the only thing I'm looking forward to. He's really setting the contrast between them. And he further sets that contrast with our next verse. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. These Judaizers of the circumcision party that snuck in and brought heresy in the midst of an actual church were motivated because of fear of persecution, because they don't want to deal with the physical repercussions of actually following Christ. And what Paul is saying is, that's not me. I have been beaten. I have marks on my body saying, I am not changing my story. I have marks on my back. I have been whipped. I have been beaten. I have been thrown in prison. I have been treated like the garbage of this world, and my story hasn't changed. I get persecuted. They avoid persecution. I have the marks to prove it. You only see the yellow of their bellies. This matter's closed. Let no one trouble me with this again. I can prove that I hold fast. And he ends the letter with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Because at the beginning of the letter, he said, I'm bringing grace and peace to you. And at the end of the letter, he leaves them with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants it to be with their spirit, brothers, because they are Christians. Amen. All right, let me pray. Father God, thank you for preserving your word throughout history. Please give clarity to the words that were spoken today and remove any error or foolishness, Father. Amen.